Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This episode of TWIP is brought to you by Carbonite Online Backup. Whether you have one computer at home or several at your small business, Carbonite backs up your files automatically and continually. Carbonite is the better backup plan. Try it free at Carbonite.com and use the offer code TWIP and get two bonus months with purchase. This week on TWIP, 35 cameras used to record Felix Bumgartner's space jump, a roundtable discussion about Apple's aperture, and Adobe expands the DNG format. It's Wednesday, October 17th, 2012, and this is TWIP. Welcome back to TWIP. I am your host, Frederick Van Johnson. Today on the show, we're going to be diving into that uh, that high jump that Felix Bumgarner did. It was a space jump. From the edge of space, he jumped. And turns out there were 35 cameras that were covering that jump. So we're going to talk about that a little bit. Also, we're going to talk about Adobe expanding the DNG, or digital negative specification. Actually, there are contracting it, making smaller files. We're going to talk about that and what it means for photographers. Then we're going to talk about Apple. Apple is in hot water with a photographer over some improper use or unauthorized use of one of her images. We're going to talk about that and what that could mean for Apple and that photographer. And then some other things. There's a bunch of stuff that we want to talk about. So joining me to discuss all of this stuff and more are Mr. Joseph Lenaski. Mr. Derek Story and Mr. Ron Brinkman. Hey, guys. Hello. 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 All right. I love it. All right. So first off, Joseph, welcome back. You've been uh, you've been away for a while doing all sorts of things, traveling the world. What's up in the world of Lenashki? No, like you said, just doing a bit more traveling. I've uh, I've actually had looks like three trips now to Europe this uh, this year, which has been a bit funny. And there's why, why each one's been just, about three weeks. Why don't you just move there, Joseph? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, hey, maybe one day. Give me give me about ten or eleven years. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I was out at Photokina most recently, which was a blast, and I actually spent some time with Derek out there, which was really cool. And then I was in in Graz doing some recording for Video to Brain after that. Tell, talk, tell me about the Video to Brain thing. So Video to Brain is a company that does sort of screen capture video training for photographers, or not for photographers, for photographers and all sorts of people, right? So right, exactly. You, you have some titles on there right now for Aperture and that sort of thing. What, what were you doing? Quite a number of them. Yeah, I was actually recording my first non-photo-related title, which is iOS 6 training. So this is just basic nuts and bolts from the ground up iOS 6 training. And it's it's big. You know, you start digging into this operating system and you realize just how big and deep the rabbit hole really goes. But iOS 6 in terms of of development for people that want to make iOS 6 apps no, not or users, photographers users. or what? You know, you go out and you buy an iPhone or buy an iPad. And I think most people recognize they're barely scratching the surface of what this device can do and what you can do just with the built-in apps and how to control the built-in apps and how to get the most out of mail and calendar and all that sort of thing. So nice. it's really quite quite deep. And I think, you know, you and I both have used iOS since it very, very first came out. 
And when you sit down to do training, you really figure out just how big it is. <laughs> You're going, whoa, this is a lot more than I thought it was. So it's it's cool. It's been a lot of fun to do. Very cool. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to that because I definitely need that. I think I'm I'm one of those people that I feel like I know a lot about it, but I know there's a bunch that I don't know. So right. yeah, that'd be great. All right. Uh, second up, that other voice you heard was Mr. Ron Brinkman coming to us from Hermosa Beach. Hey, Ron, what's going on? Hey, uh, how you been? It's been a little while since I've been on, I think. I know, but let me guess. You are sitting in your den or your home office barefoot surrounded by books, right? Barefoot and shirtless even. It's hot down here today. <laughs> shirtless? Dude, come on. <laughs> it's been it's like a family AMI. show. <laughs> you know, the, the thing with uh, living near the beach is that you don't generally need air conditioning, but on those rare days where it gets really hot, it gets really hot. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. Well, so what have, what have you been up to? You've been shooting? You've been traveling? What's going on in the, run, the world I, of Brinkman? I, I think since I was last on, I went down to Costa Rica. I don't mm. believe we talked about that last time. So it was a nice little trip. I've been down there before. Costa Rica is a great place to visit. Um, I actually went down there to talk to – there's a university down there that's just starting up a visual effects and animation program. Mm. And so they invited me to come down and talk to their incoming – freshman class about things related to filmmaking and visual effects and a little bit of photography as well ron i don't i don't know how you stand it your life just seems horrible (laughs) (laughs) those are definitely the fun ones they're uh they're few and far between unfortunately but yeah they're they're great fun and you know super i mean just great great people in costa rica and it's you know a very modern clean safe uh, country these days and you know beautiful stuff we managed to sneak out one day there and head out into the jungle up river a little bit and see some wildlife as well nice so yeah it was uh, it was good times very cool welcome back to the show man it's good to have you back and the third voice that you heard is the voice of the digital story mr derek story hey derek hey how you doing i'm doing great what's going on in your world uh well i um I went to Germany to have a beer with Joseph. <laughs> with, and I think you, you said you were wearing Lederhosen when you had that beer, Yeah, right? you know, they don't make them long enough for me. <laughs> That's totally really, true. They look really bad. <laughs> you can get I, to the leader hoe, right? You can't get to yeah. the hosen. <laughs> That's cool. So you were there. You and Joseph both were there for Photokina, right? Yes. So tell yes, me about – so Photokina, I'm curious – I know it takes you know, forever and a day to get from here to Germany, and you know, I mean, there's plane, trains, and automobiles to get over to the conference and all that. Was it worth it? Do you feel like going to this conference was worth all the effort to get from here to there? Yes, yes, I do actually. And you're right about the effort uh, for me because I have this thing that I I want to don't want to have jet lag, so I try to calibrate to the time zone as quickly as possible, which usually means staying up for 30 hours mm. uh, for that first day, uh, that first travel day, which is really uh, pretty exciting stuff. But Photokina, especially this year, there's uh, a lot of change going on in the industry, and it was all there. All the change was What right was the there. theme, do you think? You know, there's always like – I remember one year at CES, the big theme was – was 3D televisions. Everybody was going to have a 3D television and by 2012, which we right. we have, but no one's using it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What, what was the theme at Photokina? I, I would say that uh, photography is becoming more mobile and uh, and that there's a, a lot of innovation going on around that complex. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Derek, photography inherently is mobile. What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> I, think, uh, I think even more so. I think it's uh, lighter. 
uh, you know, and I think the cameras are becoming more more versatile. They're becoming more connected. Oh, okay. uh, there's uh, just a lot more going on. You don't have to carry uh, uh, 20 pounds anymore. To, so uh, to mir- is the future mirrorless? Uh, well, I mean, I think mirrorless is here to stay, and I think it definitely fulfills uh, a part of photography. It's not going to replace uh, DSLRs or medium format cameras for s- certain types of jobs. Some but- people are saying that mirrorless cameras and that form factor mm-hmm. are the death knell for the DSLR. Yeah. You, you disagree? <laughs> Well, you know, it's funny. Uh, so I I didn't want to kill myself with uh, gear on this trip because I was you know traveling constantly. So I used uh, an Olympus OMD and a Panasonic uh, twelve to thirty five f two eight zoom for the bulk of my shooting, and uh, it was really great. <laughs> I have to say, it was really fantastic. Uh, that rig was very powerful and very light, and you know the the. The 12 to 35 is like a 24 to 70. So I basically had a 24 to 70 to 8 and a couple other lenses too. And they, did the, everything do the job or were you satisfied? You got it done. I did not. I, I have to tell you, there was not one moment on the, the whole two weeks that I was gone. And I it was traveling. You know, I traveled up to Munich and did different type of shooting for two a uh, week up there. Uh, there was not one moment where I wish I had my, my big old heavy rig. Interesting. It's the future, Frederick. Get over it. <laughs> <laughs> I knew. I, I was waiting. I was like counting. I knew Ron was going to say something. <laughs> um, you know, I'm slowly but surely moving into the camp of thinking that you know it might have some merit to what you said what, three years ago, Ron. <laughs> If you wait long enough, come on. I mean, it's that, like you're waiting be- for like organisms to evolve here. Come on. I believe the bet we made had uh, you know a reasonable expectation of uh, a few years out. Yeah, we're more than a few years out from that last bet. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> hey, I'm not. I'm going to embrace it. If it happens, I will. You know, I'll be the first. One, maybe not the first one, but I'll be one of. The, <laughs> I'll be. I'll be in there too, getting my mirrorless camera. <laughs> Yep. Yeah, I think right. there's not much question. It's These actually on our. Uh, we, I mean, I saw we have a question about it today, so we'll be uh, revisiting that. Topic. We totally, we're totally going to dive into that. Yeah, later in the show. Yeah. Well, let's dive into this. There's, there's a couple of stories. Let's, uh, let's touch on this first one um, about Mr. Felix Bumgartner. He uh, did a hundred and twenty thousand foot jump. Um, he was at an altitude of over a hundred and twenty thousand foot. And apparently there were 35 cameras used to document it, including one of them was a Canon, they say appears to be a Canon 5D Mark II and a Mark III plus a RED camera. And we'll link to the jump in the, the show notes if you haven't seen it yet. But he jumped, he had what looked like a spacesuit on, and he jumped from the edge of space. You could clearly see the curvature of the Earth, <laughs> which is, uh, you know looked like a... a like a giant ball underneath him and he jumped and uh you know landed safely didn't even stumble when he landed so i'm going to talk to you guys about this joseph i put it to you first since you are the travel junkie you haven't i don't <laughs> think you've gone this high yet but <laughs> you've been you've been all over the planet that he jumped down onto what what do you think about this i mean like in terms of documenting something like this if someone like say you were going out to do say just uh just a skydive right just a normal skydive with some local firm or something would you just go buy a bunch of gopro cameras and strap them on yourself and and jump you know what, what what's the right way to do this well i mean at a right way but yeah i think that is probably what i would do for something like a standard jump yeah those gopro cameras are amazing and mm-hmm. they're disposable so if you land on your head and break one it's not the end of the world 
And the picture quality you get is fantastic. Obviously, what they're doing here is a little bit higher end than a couple of GoPros. But why uh, Why didn't they just strap GoPros on them? Why go through? I mean, it seems like GoPros quality. would have been the right way to go instead of putting a giant quality. 5D on them. You know? Well, they, went, they had a red on there. Like you said, they were filming part of it at 4K. So it was... Uh, it was quite the technology that they had up there. It was a full-on portable studio. There was actually an interview that I listened to part of on the Twitch show with Lil Laporte, and he was talking to one of the tech guys there who had set up all the camera gear. And he said they basically had a studio in the sky, 35 cameras, switchable from the ground, all radio-controlled. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was quite, the, quite the setup up there. And it's really just about getting every possible angle and getting it at incredible quality. So he was, just, he was just a falling terminal velocity studio, basically. Yeah, pretty much, yeah, pretty much. Uh, I think and, you know, they're going to make – they'll be able to make a ton of money off the footage of that. So yeah. you know, that's, I'm sure that has something to do with it too. Ryan, what were you going to say? I was going to say I think the real story here is not so much the number of cameras but the fact that this was all streaming live uh, you know, at this high quality – and they had they broke a record like by almost an order of magnitude for a number of simultaneous viewers of the live stream. It was like eight million or something. Yep, mm. um, which is just astounding, you know. And suddenly, I mean, suddenly this is truly a worldwide simultaneous viewing event uh, that passes you know the kind of numbers you would see on a broadcast TV show or something like that. So, yeah, isn't that crazy how they're doing that stuff now? I remember at the 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 Google event several months ago when they remember they had those skydivers jump down with the with the Google mm-hmm. glasses on and they were yep. streaming live to the to YouTube from the Google glasses as they were falling and they had people on the roofs in San Francisco with microwave dishes or whatever aimed at the skydivers as they were falling so that they could maintain connection all the way through it's like yeah and there are no microwave trucks and no abc cnn none of that stuff around it's just all direct to the web now it's crazy yeah, so it's you know I, I think it's i mean the, the the jump itself is certainly interesting but i think the story here of you know this is sort of the first time that you've seen this kind of a breakthrough in live coverage of something and i think it's awesome they had that many cameras on there and you know different reasons for having different cameras and yeah uh, good derek, stuff derek when when's your uh when's your next jump yeah <laughs> 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 no kidding. Um, have you ever have you ever skydived before, Derek? No, I have not. I, I've I've been up in a hot air balloon. That's been about it for me. Yeah, it doesn't count unless you jump out of that height. Yeah, that hot air yeah. I almost fell out. Does that count? I mean, no. <laughs> I, bun- I bungee jumped. It's a wine country thing. <laughs> hey, I've jumped. It's it's uh it's terrifying and exhilarating at the same time. It's kind of like when you it, your body like when you're leaving the aircraft. It's your self-preservation instinct is on 100 because <laughs> it's like, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. I'm not going out there. But if you're doing a tandem jump like I did, you can't not you can't stop because the guy behind you is pushing you out of the plane. <laughs> so and then the first 10, 20 seconds feels like a roller coaster drop. You know, it's just like. I'm just gonna die. I'm 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 gonna go with it, you know. And then it's fun after that. So you know, think about it. I mean, I I've, I've jumped too, and I have no no video, no stills even of that. So it's kind of yeah. I wish I did because I'm sure the sound of me screaming like a little girl as I was going. <laughs> I know. I know. I, you know. I was lucky enough. YouTube gold. <laughs> I was lucky enough to jump with the with the U.S. Army's Golden Knights, and and they had a, a videographer jump with us. And photograph, you know, do video as we were falling, free falling to earth. And we'll put this in the show notes. It's on YouTube, I think. Um, but it was, uh, it was crazy. It was, it was scary. I'd do it again, you know, definitely do it again. But it was one of those things you have on your checklist of, I want to do this before I die. And then, then I'm done. I think. <laughs> yeah. 
So, yeah. So, Ron, you were saying, I think you were saying in, in the chat, there's a, there was a new GoPro announced today. What's the deal with uh, that? Yeah, I don't think this was used on the jump, but I think there is the GoPro 3, which is just or Hero 3 or whatever. I just saw it kind of come past. But um, it's got some nice specs. They've, they've upped the frame rate. It's actually capable of shooting at 4K video, but only at 15 frames a second. Um, and what, is, what does that 4K mean to the average layman that's like, okay, I just wanted to shoot HD. I heard I heard HD is good, so I want HD. What does 4K mean? Uh, honestly, I think what it really gets you is you're shooting at 4K 15 frames a second. It's basically getting yourselves reasonable size stills that you can sort of really pick out specific action moments from that. Uh, you know, there's not a lot of places to display 4K video yet. Uh, you can you can stream it off of YouTube, I guess, and if your monitor is large enough, you could probably use that. But at 15 frames a second, it's still a little bit low for what you want to do. You could probably make up the intermediate frames using some technology. But I, I think it's more. I mean, part of it's just specmanship and being able to say that they can do 4K now. I'm sure. Yeah. But you know, it just kind of points to where it's going. I think at at 720p resolution, they'll do up to 120 frames a second. So GoPro's wow. really GoPro's a great little story because they just came out of nowhere. I mean, they were a bunch of they were literally a bunch of surfer dudes, and like their first products were like surfer straps, you know, keeping your surfboard attached to you or something. And um, they started doing the camera stuff, and because people wanted to take surfing videos, and I, I've got a lot of respect for those guys because they're really staying on top of the technology as well as having a hell of a lot of fun. Yeah, and it, yeah. it was interesting uh, at Photokina. You really saw how everyone else is is trying to to jump onto that bandwagon. I mean, yeah. there were. You know, uh, Hama and you know, and on Rolly and on and on and on. All have Sony, of course. Uh, all have their version of a GoPro now, and it, it's uh, it's very interesting how everyone just goes, "That is a great idea, and we should be doing it." I love it. It's like it's like blood in the water, and all the sharks come, right? Yeah, yep. definitely. definitely. Yeah, yeah, it's great. I mean, I'm still. I don't know what's what's holding me back. I think I need I need some extreme adventure to to make me go buy one, but I don't want to buy one and just go like. You know, hanging out and driving around here. I want to buy one when I'm going on a Ron Brinkman adventure to Costa Rica or something. <laughs> and, you know, like spelunking in the world's largest cave or something. <laughs> then well, I'll go get one. That's exactly right. That's kind of why I haven't picked one up yet either, is I sort of haven't figured out what, what I'm going to use it for. I mean, my, you know, very sedate bike rides along the beach aren't exactly uh, <laughs> the kind of material that it's need that for. So. Yeah, here here's some free marketing advice for the uh, GoPro folks. They should start leading tours with well-known photographers like Joseph, Ron, and Derek, where they equip, they equip you with these cool cameras, and you go on these amazing adventures, and then people can buy the cameras. You know, I don't know. Perfect. <laughs> I, I know of a nice zip line in Costa Rica that I can take people to already. So, GoPro, if you're listening, contact these guys. They they want to do it. <laughs> All right, uh, guys, let's move on to story number two. Adobe expands the DNG specification. Have you guys looked into this? It looks like they're... The, so the, one of the issues with DNG is, um, and RAW in general was you just have these gigantic files that are great. You know, they're, If you have the space for them, they have all the data in there, but they're big, right? With, with the new DNG spec, they're essentially using JPEG compression or something very similar or exactly the same as Tom Hogarty from Adobe says as JPEG compression to uh, compress these things down. I was looking at the page on Petapixel and they were talking, they had some examples of the, uh, the different image sizes. So a standard DMG, DNG weighs in at for this particular image that they're looking at, 25.2 megabytes. And then with the new lossy DNG, which is the new spec, 
uh, 8.6 megabytes, right? And then a JPEG of that same image, 6.5 megabytes. <laughs> so what do, you, what do you guys, Ron, Ron, what do you think about this? I mean, is this, is this the way to go? Should we be converting all our images into DNG now? Um, this is smart. I mean, uh, you know, Adobe is smart, and they really understand imaging stuff, so they've done the right thing. And, and I think a lot of people are sort of saying, well, if you're using JPEG compression, why don't I just use JPEG? But it's not at all the same thing. Uh, you know, because JPEG takes you down to 8-bit and sort of a, a dynamic range of what an output image is. And as we all know, kind of the reason to shoot raw is you have that much wider dynamic range. You've got a lot extra information in the, in the shadows and then particularly in the highlights. And so this will still preserve that, but it uses a lossy compression to still keep that entire dynamic range. And, and JPEG quality, I mean, if you look at a JPEG image, uh, at highest quality JPEG uh, and compare it to what comes out of a, a raw file that's converted to a JPEG or whatever. I mean, you're not going to be able to see the difference really hardly at all. So basically, they're being very smart about it, but they're still keeping you know, 99.999% of what is in the raw file. So it it makes sense if you but if you're it, worried you know about I was it. looking at this and it, and I agree it make it makes total sense. But and y- yeah, you're right. Ninety nine point nine nine percent of the what you're going to see and perceive is still there. My question and the old ones were looking at these images. Standard DNG was twenty five point two megabytes. The new lossy DNG drops it down exponentially to eight point six megabytes. My question would be. Dudes, why why now? Why now before? <laughs> you know, why not why are we just waiting now to get this JPEG compression in there? Derek, where where do you fall on this? I mean, this sounds it sounds like a no-brainer, of course. Yeah, who why wouldn't you use this? But why not why not before? Well, I mean, I well, let's take a step back. I'm not sure about, you know, why not use this. Uh, it is an extra step. I mean, unless you're shooting with uh, a Pentax or a Leica or something that that captures in in DNG uh, natively, uh, there's there's an extra step. Now you can automate that step when you import into Lightroom. Mm-hmm. You can have the conversion happen and so forth. But you're still you you know you still got the the raw files. You still now you got the DNGs, and then there is uh, an extra organizational step because the thinking being that your selects will be uh, full-quality DNGs, and then your lower-rated images, let's say you did a wedding, your lower-rated images would uh, you know, presumably use the compressed version of DNG. So there's work there. I mean, that that is all you know, time that you have to develop a workflow for. And so it's not necessarily a no-brainer. It's for people who, who like that spec and who are probably inherently suspicious of the proprietary nature of raw files Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, you know, uh, things like that. Why now? Um, I think they, they, Adobe has these brainstorming sessions that they do that's really neat where they say, you know, they get all the engineers in a room and, and they say, you know, what should we be doing? You know, what, what, what things should we be tackling? And they, they build this uh, whiteboard list of, of cool ideas. And uh, these ideas come about through that sort of stuff. You know, they usually, they usually bubble up. And, um, you know, someone thought it was a good idea, and, and, and I think it is. Joseph, you're the Aperture expert here. What, what does DNG mean to Aperture and folks that are using it? Well, you can certainly import DNG files, but there's no simplified workflow for converting stuff to DNG. Um, but I mean, you, you obviously you can you can you can convert into DNG. There's standalone converters and import them in, and that's fine if that's the way you want to work. It works absolutely fine. Um, going back to the point though of of not being for everybody, I think one of the 
one of the marketing points in it is it takes up less space. Obviously, it's going to take up less storage space. But I, I don't know. I mean, I don't find space to be that big of a problem for long-term storage, given the the low cost of massive drives these days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, terabyte, multi-terabyte drives are so cheap, and obviously there are going to be there are some photographers who shoot tens of thousands of photographs a month. And for those people, maybe there is, it's a bit more relevant, but for even most professionals who are shooting, you know, maybe a few thousand a month, it just, it doesn't seem to be that important to me. It just, storage is so cheap. I'd rather just buy, spend a hundred bucks on another couple terabytes than spend half an afternoon having to convert a bunch of files. Uh, Yeah. I totally agree. Workflow. Mm. Yeah. I totally agree. You know, for me, where this would get interesting is if I have one of the cameras that already has chosen, like Pentax, and I can't remember who else has chosen to use DNG as their internal storage format for raw files. Uh, Because that's really where I run out of space is, you know, if my memory cards fill up, not my hard drive once I get back home. Right. Uh, So for me, that's the only place where it kind of would make sense. I don't I don't convert files to DNG in the first place. I got plenty of space, and I'm not too worried. You know, I'm a Canon shooter. I, I don't believe that you know way way down in the future that decoding canon raw files are going to be any harder than decoding adobe raw files at this point they're, they're so ubiquitous in both cases right and in the event that canon completely went away and support was going to go away it's not like there wouldn't be time to just do a batch convert of everything you have into something else and i mean it's not you know the the spec for canon raw files has been reverse engineered this is exactly what apple does whenever they offer a converter so it's not like it's a, a black box anyway that relies on canon being in existence anyway so it sounds like all- you guys you guys wouldn't change your workflow to use the new lossy dng but if it's if it's no effort I, for example your camera's already saving and 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 rendering images in dng you'd go for it yeah, I mean, I may there maybe there's a situation where you've got a client that wants to get a thumb drive of everything, and the only way you can fit it on there is to convert a bunch of things to this smaller DNG or something. But it seems like it'd be kind of rare. Hmm. Derek, Derek, any closing thoughts on this? Uh, I pretty much agree with them. I it's not an issue that I worry about. Uh, we already know that uh, all the raw formats are being reverse engineered all the time, so. Yeah. You know, I, not, I don't think there's a, a big worry there. And personally, I just do not like extra steps in my workflow. I'm having a hard enough. I got a, a lean workflow as it is, and I'm having a hard enough time keeping up with it. Yeah, I love it. I know because you're you're that guy that needs to know everything. <laughs> I mean, because yeah. you need to know Lightroom, Aperture, uh, Camera Raw, the Camera Raw processing engine, and as well as like iPhoto and all that stuff. Because you train yeah. on everything, right? Yeah. So you know, I I just. I, I don't mess around with it. I, I I have people in workshops ask about it, and I say, hey, if it's something that you want to do, it's it's a great format, but it's not anything that I uh, that I urge people to do. Right. No. Okay. Cool. Well, Derek, before we leave this topic, since you're talking about workflow a little bit, what's a top like a high level thirty thousand foot sketch? of your workflow so you go out on a shoot and in say one of your workshops you mm-hmm. go out on one of your shoots you you capture a bunch of images what's your workflow to bring it into the computer and get it ready for output and all that yeah so my stuff goes into my personal stuff and my assignment work goes into aperture so it goes from the memory card into aperture and it stays on the memory card the memory cards don't get reformatted until there's been at least one backup of what goes in into the aperture library and uh, i have an external 
hard drive array that's also connected. So the the initial images get backed up on on import. Uh, but you know the work is also super important too. It's not just the images; it's the work that you do to them and the metadata that you add. So then after uh, I do my selects and so forth, and I do star ratings for that and uh, add my metadata, then uh, those those that are rated three stars or above, um, they also get, uh, along with the work, they get backed up. And then um, I go off-site. So then I have uh, you know an off-site location for the stuff. And I try to try to keep it not too not too confusing but my basic thing is is to get everything in get the whole shoot backed up do my selects only image edit my selects and then make sure that that work is backed up at least two different places i love it i want to do i want to do a whole show just on workflow and joseph especially i want to i want to dive into your workflow because i know i know you are what's the word i'm looking for anal you know in terms (laughs) I was wondering if that's what you were going to pick. In terms of your, I mean, your naming nomenclature and everything is just like dialed in to a degree that I could never even dream of getting to. So I want to, I want to dive into your brain and see what your your processes are in a different show when we yeah, have we more time. Um, so, Derek, just one last thing. Two questions. Mm-hmm. You mentioned Aperture, so why not Lightroom? And then B on storage. I know you're not u- using Drobo. Why not Drobo? <laughs> <laughs> I'm throwing that curveball at you. Why not? Why aren't you using Drobo? And why so, aren't you using Lightroom? It's so funny. I'm talking to Drobo right now. Oh, you are. I am. Uh, I, you're right. I did. I did stop using them. We we've talked about it in an earlier show and so forth. And they. Uh, came back at me and said, "What you know? Would you look at our latest product line? I mean, you're someone that had a problem with uh, what happened in the past, so you take a look at what we're doing now." And I believe everyone you know deserves a second chance. So I told him I would. Oh, okay. so uh, so you know, that, who knows I, how how that's going to turn out? I don't know, but uh, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll be looking uh, at them. So. <laughs> and then why? Why? Okay, well, leave, I'll leave it at that. I won't press you since you're you're working on that deal right now. What about what about Lightroom? You know, it's. I have to tell you, the Lightroom Aperture thing. I really think is uh, like a Mac PC thing, a uh, Canon Nikon it's preference sort of thing. It's really. It's just a, a feel. Uh, I mean, Lightroom is fantastic, and especially the develop module is is crazy good. Uh, good stuff. Personally, the the thing that that I really like, though I like the organization of uh, of light of uh, aperture, mm-hmm. and I just I, I it just fits with my brain, just the way that I can structure my library, and then I do this thing where I'm carrying a laptop while I'm shooting, and the portability where I create a library on the go, and then how easy it is for me to integrate that back into my workflow. Uh, I, I really love the way Aperture does that. So, you know, it's my primary thing. But I run off a, a reference library, which means, you know, my files are living on hard drive, my so master. So you could, you could theoretically run Lightroom as well, right? I do it all the time. I do it all the time. There'll be an image. I'm looking at it, and I want to run a, a gradient screen or I want to have some lens correction on it or uh, do something that Lightroom's really fantastic at. Uh, I'll just open that image up in Lightroom and work on it. So and, essentially and- you're telling us you're a polygamist. <laughs> <laughs> Or, or at least a bigamist. <laughs> or at least a bigamist. Right? Well, I like Aftershot Pro too, so, so he's yeah. a polygamist. There he yeah. 
So, well, so, so, Ron, what are you using? Are you using Lightroom or Aperture? No, nah, I'm still on Aperture for a lot of the same reasons that Derek mentioned. I kind of my head is wrapped around it. I liked some of the organizational stuff it does, and it's a pretty broad program. I I agree. I I do think that. Um, Aperture has really disappointed me in its lack of forward momentum in terms of the image processing stuff. I mean, I I find it particularly aggravating because I know we had better image processing tools in our pro apps group, the the group that I was working for when I was at Apple. Yeah. Um, So I know we had better tools even then, and none of them have made it into, or very few of them have made it into Aperture, and it's kind of a shame. And it does feel like the Lightroom develop module is a stronger tool for just hardcore image processing stuff, but I guess the other stuff kind of outweighs it for now, me, and you know, and inertia certainly is part of it too. Now, Joseph, Joseph, you're the aperture expert, so I know you're using aperture, obviously. <laughs> but I want to put it to you. One of the reasons why, I mean, yeah, I used to work at Adobe, so of course I'm using Lightroom, and I'm happy with it. It sort of works with my brain and all that. But like Derek said, it's it's a matter of what works with the snapses that are firing in your particular brain right sure but one of the things that hit me with aperture when i was you know trying because i gave it a try i mean i don't know if you remember i was like okay let me use aperture i'm going to work it into my workflow it was your pick of the week it was Uh, my pick of the week yeah and i I am not hating (laughs) on aperture at all i mean aperture is an awesome product it's great but one of the things that hit me back then was just the performance as compared to the performance in Lightroom. Like, Aperture was just, frankly, dog slow compared to what I was able to get in Lightroom. Now, was that just me? Was that my configuration? Was Have things changed? Or what, what do you think, Joseph? I think it, a little bit of all of the above. Um, it, Aperture... So I you're saying say it was that, me? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. No. <laughs> uh, I think that Adobe has done a better job at making Lightroom perform better on lower-end hardware. Mm-hmm. So if you don't have the latest and greatest Mac, then chances are you're going to see better performance uh, on on Lightroom, unfortunately. Which is like now, 80% of the United States, though. I mean, 80, like, uh, I'm just grabbing numbers out of the air, but a lot of people haven't upgraded to the latest and greatest, sure, right? Sure. Um, but on the other hand, when you – well, for one, Aperture has gotten a lot better at speed. I mean every every major release, there's significant speed improvements, and everybody notices them. So there's – it definitely is getting better even on – older, slower hardware. But when you do have the latest and greatest and you're running the latest operating system and you're working with uh, other Apple technologies, the way everything ties together is, you know, is pretty sweet. Yeah, so, yeah I, I will say that I, you know, I'm running a 2006 Mac Pro as my main Aperture machine and it's very peppy. It is a Mac Pro, so, you know, it it's, uh, was a beefy machine at the time. But right. I think, you know, the bottom line is I, I don't usually hear the speed issue as much with uh, with Aperture. And I think, like, we, as we always conclude these discussions with, I think they're both still available for trial downloads kind of thing. So you sure, can yeah. just sort of test the speed on your own machine. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I guess my my last question on the whole, I know I'm on a complete rat hole here, but um, (laughs) I'm like off the rails. The show notes have nothing to do with anything I'm talking about. But but, hey, I'm the host. I get to do that. Um, So I want to put it out to all you guys. And this is is coming from the standpoint of someone who uses Lightroom. I've built an entire hierarchy of images. Everything I've shot over the last, I don't know, half a decade or so is in Lightroom. 
Um, and I'm looking at Aperture, and I'm like, like before, when I made it my pick of the week, I'm enticed by it. I think it's awesome. It looks great. It's cool. But then I, w- I look at it, and I see Apple and their focus on iOS and phones and new tablets and all this stuff. And I hear very little, if anything, about Final Cut Pro or Aperture or anything pro app related. If if someone is thinking about moving and try, even trying Aperture, you don't want to move into a neighborhood that's being deserted, right? I mean, Joseph, is is Aperture, is it in it for the long haul? Is Apple in it for the long haul? Or is it is it going to go away soon? No, it's not going anywhere. And I, you know, I don't have any inside information. I don't know anything that other people on the show don't. But what I can say is that the biggest indicator to me that Aperture is here for the long haul was at the release of 3.3 when Aperture was featured as one of the the kind of keynote hallmark apps shown on the new Retina MacBook Pro. Yeah. And it wasn't just shown in the print ads, it was shown in their TV ads. It was the first time ever that a pro app, and you had both Final Cut Pro and Aperture show up in a TV ad for an Apple product. Mm-hmm. Apple wouldn't show that if they were planning on stopping development. Okay. All right. So I'm going to hold you to that. So if development stops on Aperture or Final Cut Pro, people can email you directly where, Joseph? <laughs> <laughs> at uh, frederick at frederickvan.com, I think. So thank you. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and, oh, thank you for giving my public email address. <laughs> no, that is my email address. If you're going to email me, that is my address. You asked for it. <laughs> um, all right, guys. But, let's take a yeah, quick... Go well, ahead. We have to do this sometime, though, Frederick. And let's not do it today because we're already too far down the rat hole. But... The real thing that Joseph and I get hit with a lot, probably Ron too, is where's Aperture Four? Yeah. Yes, and, and that's that's you know if if you want to have a little powder keg fun, you know, we that, because we we talked about that what like five years ago, Derek. Yeah, yeah. yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Where where is Aperture Four? I mean, exactly. exactly. All right, that's a different show though. That's we, a different show. We have to talk about that. We will we will get to it. So much to talk about, so little time. Yeah. All right, uh, before we continue with the rest of the show, I want to give a, a huge shout-out and a thanks to our sponsor. This episode of This Week in Photo is brought to you by Carbonite Online Backup. Of course, we all know. I mean, we're photographers. We know how important our images are. We're talking about creating digital images. All we've been talking about this entire show is creating bits, right? Creating digital images. But to back that stuff up, it's always a hassle. So what Carbonite swings in to do for you is they back everything up automatically and continually whenever you're connected to the Internet. So say you're out running around with your MacBook Pro or your your PC and you come back and you connect to your home Wi-Fi or Ethernet. As soon as you connect, your backup starts. Whatever changes have been made get pumped up to the cloud. You don't never have to remember to back up. It just does it automatically. And then one of the cool things is you can access those backed up files from whatever computer you happen to be on at a time. Say, say you're traveling somewhere. You're not at your home computer. You can log on. Say Joseph is somewhere in Graz and sitting at an internet cafe. He can log on and, and pull down a particular file he needs either on that internet cafe computer or his smartphone or his iPad or whatever using a free Carbonite app. So they offer unlimited backup space for your PC or Mac for just $59 a year. And if you run a small business, Carbonite also has plans designed to back up all of the computers on that network, servers, all that stuff for one low annual flat fee. So if you want to try it out, you want to check out Carbonite, just head over to Carbonite.com. Use the offer code TWIP 
course, TWIP, and they'll throw two bonus months your way if you decide to buy it. That's Carbonite.com and use the offer code TWIP. All right, guys, um, it is time to move on to the next next story. What is our next story here? Let me see. Oh, <laughs> I'm like lost in my Google Doc here. Okay, let's move on to the listener Q&A. Um, question number one is from David Stewart, and I'm going to throw it to Joseph. Joseph, you want to read this one? Certainly. David Stewart writes in, I'm in the process of converting from Olympus to Nikon. As part of this process, I have to get new glass. Uh, meaning lenses, folks. I have a picture database of about 60,000 photos, and I'm looking for a program that will read the metadata in the picture database and extract the camera, aperture, and focal length for each picture, write this information into a file that Excel can read. What I'm trying to determine is the percentage of time that I historically use different focal lengths to help me decide which glass to purchase first. So, David, I have fantastic news for you if you're an aperture user, and if you're not an aperture user, you can still do this for about $25. So, Aperture natively stores all of this information, and it stores it in a database. And we have a little application on Aperture Expert called Aperture Inspector that will read that database of information and then plot out exactly the type of information you're looking for. It'll tell you when you've used your lenses, which lenses you've used, what focal lengths you've used them at, what aperture you've used them at, uh, what bodies you've used them at, and so on. You can even enter in prices for the products that you bought so you can determine that with this body and lens combination it only cost me you know this many pennies per shot that i've ever taken with it and it's really a a huge database reader that just goes through and and strips all the information and puts it into a nice simple organized format for you if you're not an aperture user uh the app itself is ten dollars but since iphoto and aperture upgraded so that they share a common database even if you're not an Aperture user, what you could do is buy iPhoto for 15 bucks, Aperture Inspector for 10 bucks, and for $25, you could just import everything you have, just dump it. You don't have to organize, just dump it all into iPhoto, and then once it's imported, run Aperture Inspector on your iPhoto library and get all that same information. Very cool. Awesome. When did that come out, Joseph? Uh, it's been out for a couple of years now, actually. It, uh, it's, you know, it's one of these apps that doesn't need a lot of work. It was just updated to 1.2 this week, which basically did some bug fixes and, and uh, added the support for the iPhoto library itself. So, yeah, it's, it's been out for a little while. It's one of these kind of little sleeper apps. Awesome. Awesome. Where can they go? AperturexPert.com has it, right? Yeah, AperturexPert.com. Just uh, go to the store and you'll see it there. Very cool. All right. AperturexPert.com. Check out the store or in the show notes, we'll link to it. I think it's AperturexPert.com slash inspector. All right. Uh, Question number two is from Branham and he writes, I'm a Canon shooter and I want to know more about their mirrorless. Can you tell me more and compare it to others? I want to use all my L lenses from Canon. So I want to convert this question into somewhat of a mini discussion here. So about mirrorless in general. So he's a Canon shooter. He wants to know more about mirrorless. So I want to change that to, I'm a photographer and I want to know more about mirrorless. <laughs> Derek, Derek, where, we talked about this a little bit at the beginning of the show, but mirrorless photography, I've been hearing it more and more and more. You know, there's all these different bodies coming out and a lot of people are coming to me. You know, you get the question, we all get the question of, hey, Frederick, I hear you're a photographer. What camera should I buy? Mm-hmm. Should the answer be go buy a mirrorless camera now instead of a DSLR? Well, I mean, it depends on what they're doing. If they're like, if they want it for vacation travel and they're businessmen that want something that's uh, very light but high quality, they're in those situations. I would say, yeah, 
I, I would definitely consider, especially if they're uh, an enthusiast that that wants uh, different lenses and different accessories and wants high image quality. Certain scenarios, it's definitely the right answer. Yeah. Yeah. Now, what about you, Joseph? I know you've been in the mirrorless camp for I don't know at least three years. Sure. Um, what 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 do you what do you think about this whole world of mirrorless? Is it is it the next step? Um, it, it is a step. Absolutely. And it is a, it's a growing step. Uh, like we said in the beginning of the show, I don't know that it will replace DSLRs anytime soon, but really the quality that you're getting out of these things is getting better and better. The Fuji X series is fantastic. Um, I know Derek shoots with an Olympus series of these little cameras and loves it. It's, it's really, really interesting. You know, I've got the Fuji X100, which is same thing as the mirrorless camera, but it's not the interchangeable lens. But, you know, I'm, I'm really tempted by this Fuji X-Series. The idea that I could possibly replace all that heavy Canon gear with much smaller and lighter weight gear and get the same image quality or at least comparable image quality, yeah, it's, it's really tempting. Yeah. Now, Ron, I, I think I know where you fall on, <laughs> on this whole well, issue. You you say everyone should throw away their DSLRs and put no, them in the dump. No, I did not say that. And go get your mirrorless, right? No, nope, not at all. And in fact, I have not gone mirrorless. So obviously, I, I, I'm not recommending that. Uh, but but I am absolutely looking at this. It's It's a really hard time to buy into it just because it's changing so rapidly. And there's not a clear choice. I mean, I guess there never is. But... It's sort of, you know, there, there's there's some competing camps out there. None of them have quite hit a home run, I don't think. Um, you know, going back to the original listener's question, this, this new Canon is an interesting entree in that it's basically the same sensor as on their, their low-end DSLRs, stuck mm-hmm. into this much smaller thing, um, but not a big lens selection yet. And quite honestly, that, you know, Canon is kind of falling behind a little bit in terms of their sensor technology compared to... Nikon, and, and honestly, I think even compared to Sony at some level. So Sony if, is cooking yeah, right now. I know, yeah. I know. I'm so, seriously looking at Sony right now. I yeah. So if say. you look at that, um, you know, if you look at this this Canon that's been announced, that you know, it hasn't been tested yet since it's not shipping, but that sensor has been tested, and you compare that with uh, both the Sony, you know, NX NX7, which is their sort of high end uh, mirrorless camera, mm-hmm. and even with the Olympus, the the OMD M5, whatever that one is, the high end Olympus, you know, I which think has the, a Sony sensor in it, by the way. Yeah, I, exactly. I think the sensor quality yeah. is better on both of those cameras than it is on the Canon, which is disappointing to me. I was I was hoping that it would step it up a little bit, but. So yeah, I mean, I'm I'm very much at a. I love the Micro Four Thirds format because it's got such a wide lens selection, and you can get all kinds of stuff. The Canon uh, that was announced is only announced with two specific lenses, but you can buy an adapter and put all your other Canon glass on it. But you know, you can kind of do that with these Micro Four Thirds as well. And then the Sony stuff is slowly starting to get some more lens selection as well. They just announced a bunch more. So yeah, yeah. You know, the the one thing I'll say about uh, compact system cameras, at least my experience, is that adapters are not where it's at. Yeah, uh, you know, they 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 give us uh, the adapter. So it's kind of the, hey, but you can use all of your lenses. And it's sort of like running a virtual PC on your Mac or, mm. you know, all those sort of things. These The native lenses focus really fast on, um, most of the compact system cameras, uh, they have a very new technology, and the adapters just sort of uh, undermine that that whole that whole thing there. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, the, I like the way the direction where things are going because 
in just my personal sort of way that I like my computers and all that stuff to work is I love the MacBook Air. I love the the smallness of it and the compactness of it. And, you know, I look at that. I look at how I can just slip it into this little bag and go and throw my iPad in there. And I've got, like, supercomputing power with me anywhere I go. And then I look at my DSLR bag, and it's just like... This giant low pro <laughs> bag full of kit and stuff and lenses and stuff. Wouldn't it be great if I could just, I don't know, throw that in the dryer and put it on high <laughs> and have it shrink down a little bit? You know, that's why the, this, this mirrorless stuff seems kind of attractive to me. Well, that's know. what I did for two weeks in Germany. That's exactly what I did, and it, and it was fantastic. When I went two week, or when I went two years earlier, I carried over twice as much weight and uh, in, in a much bigger bag than I carried on on this last trip. And I was such a happy camper on this trip. It, it makes a difference, uh, not not having to carry all of that weight all that time and look after it. You know, it's just uh, you, know, you got to keep an eye on it too. Yeah, yeah. All right, guys, let's move on to the picks of the week. Uh, This is a segment where our guests can pick anything as long as it is somehow related to photography. Joseph, I know you got to take off in like three minutes here, so I want to give you a chance to throw a pick of the week in here before you have to roll. Do you have anything to throw in there? I do. Thank you. Uh, yeah, and I do have to get going. Yeah, there's this new website called imagebrief.com. And, you know, maybe I shouldn't say new. It's new to me. I just learned about it. And we all know stock photography. We all know that microstock has really hurt that industry quite badly. Uh, but it seems that there are more and more clients these days who are stepping away from stock and looking for unique images, specifically non-stock images. And so what imagebrief is, is a site where any company who needs an image for anything can go in and fill out a brief of what type of image they're looking for. Uh, you know, girl at French cafe, young, attractive, 20-something-year-old girl in French cafe, looking hip, working on her iPod. I'm Something always like looking that. for those. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> looking for an image like that, and they can set a budget. I'm willing to pay, you know, $200, $500, $1,000. And I've only been on there for a few days, and I've seen, I think the minimum brief that anybody can put in is 200 that's what it seems to me. So that means if you're going to sell an image, you're never going to get less than 200 for it. But I've already seen images, briefs come in at $15,000 buy prices. So people who are willing to pay real money for proper licensing, they're not looking to buy it, they're not looking for a copyright grab, they actually want to license the image and it outlines what they're going to do with the image and the duration that they want and what their budget is. And then the photographers, and you have to be an approved photographer, not anybody can go in there, so you have to support, you know, show a portfolio to show that you're worthy. The image brief folks will approve your account, and then you can go in and start submitting images to these briefs. And you can see what other people have uploaded, uh, and you can see the price that they're offering. So if, say, the client says, I'm, I'll pay up to 10000 a client, a photographer can say, right, I'll, I'll charge you 8000 for this, I'll charge 5000 or you know, I want 10000 for it. And they'll go through and they pick their images, and then the photographer gets paid. Nice. It seems clean. Yeah, definitely check it out. It is. Yeah, it's it's not huge. You know, there's maybe a couple, one or two new briefs a day at the most, it seems. And I think that's just fine. It's not, this isn't mass stuff. It's not massive uh, stock photo stuff. This is something much, uh, much more specific. And I think it's great. I think it has a great future. Now, now, Joseph, before you take off, I want to give you a chance to talk about this new site that you have out there. Um, on black and white photography. You want to tell us about that before you, uh, before you hang sure. up? Sure. Yeah, thanks a lot. Yeah, it's, uh, it's just a new little project called The Black and White Photo. It's thebwphoto.com. And it is uh, obviously a site dedicated to black and white photography. And this isn't something that I'm intending to 
to put all of my time into. This is something that I want other people to contribute into. And so anybody who wants to can go there and ask for a contributor account and kind of like the image brief, send me your uh, you know, a collection of your images or a link to your images, and I'll take a look. And I approve most people to go in and start posting. And then you can just cre- start creating posts about black and white photography. And it can be you're shooting film. It can be you're shooting digital, shooting on iPhones, shooting and converting. I don't care as long as it's black and white related. And it's off to a nice little start. We've, uh, we've got a you know, nice small following there and getting some good posts up there and getting some beautiful images, which is really nice to see. Very cool. Yeah. Hey, I'm behind anything that is uh, helping out the photography community. So thank there you, you for go. building that. Certainly. Cool. Well, thanks, Joseph. Thanks for coming on the show. I know you got a role. But, I do. Uh, thanks. Thanks for contributing. You, you are always adding value. Oh, <laughs> I thank you, sir. It's good to be on. Miss you guys. And uh, hopefully I'll see you all in person sooner rather than later. All right. So thanks, thanks, Joseph. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. Derek, what is your pick of the week? I got some really good news the other day when uh, Camera Awesome uh, released an iPad version. And it's, uh, it's an app that I just love on the iPhone. And uh, they did a great job uh, with the iPad version. And the reason why I like this app is that you know, it combines taking pictures, uh, very intelligent controls, you know, like what you have on your camera that you're sort of used to, with uh, fun editing, lots of filters, lots of effects, with great sharing. You can share on just about anything that you do, from Facebook to Instagram to SmugMug, whatever whatever you're doing, Twitter, and uh, just all in one uh, very well thought out interface, and it's free, and uh, mm. you know, doesn't get much better than that. I love it. I love it. And that's from our friends over at Smug Mug, too. So it is. A, it is. And, yeah. you know, people, you know, they have additional filters and effects that, that you can buy sets of them. But the bottom line is there's, like, a, a lot of them. And you could buy every filter. And, I mean, they'll, like, you could buy the whole thing forever and never have to pay another penny. And I think it's still, like, nine ninety nine for everything that they they make so I did, I did not know that they released a uh, iPad app. I will be de- downloading that after the show. It's it's really cool and the interface is very nice and you know especially with what may happen uh, next week at the California Theater uh, you know where wait what's going to happen next week at the California Theater Derek uh, oh we're thinking that there's possible there might be an iPad Mini out mm. which means that um, if uh, if that does come to fruition then apps like this uh, where you have the nice screen but it's a little bit more manageable form factor uh, Camera Awesome would be I think wonderful on that app would you, that. Uh, are you planning on getting one if in fact one shows up uh, iPad mini absolutely really no hesitation huh. yeah yeah I mean you know it's, it's got to meet spec in fact I did a post today on the things that I think for photographers that you know it, it needs to have but I, I'm pretty confident that if they are doing it uh, it'll be pretty good very cool alright yeah I'm right behind you Ron Brinkman what is your pick of the week my pick's a little quickie one that I'm finding myself using I just started using it but I'm finding it to be pretty handy it's called Cloud App just hmm. C-L-O-U-D-A-P-P just a little thing. It lives up in your menu bar on your Mac. I think it's Mac only. And it's, I mean, we all use Dropbox, I suspect. And Dropbox is great if you want to share files with people. But there's sort of a, you know, a few steps you take in terms of going and finding the final right file and right-clicking and saying share this and all that kind of stuff. What this Cloud App thing does is just a little thing up in your menu bar. You can drag a file or an image onto it and then it immediately uh, puts into your paste buffer, buffer 
uh, a link to the URL where that file is at. Uh, so it's really just a matter of drag something up there, and then in whatever email you're typing or whatever chat window you're in, just hit uh, you know Command V to paste in the URL, and the person at the other end can then just go grab that file or see that image or whatever. Cool. So it just makes it extremely fast to just to share stuff with people uh, that you're chatting with or want to send them a quick email, uh, and, and I like it. And, and that's all it does. It's free. It's in the Mac App Store. Uh, you can go to getcloudapp.com to learn a little bit about it, but it's pretty handy. All right. All right. I'm putting that on my list. I'm scratching the note out now. I always, during these shows, I always scratch out all these notes about stuff I have to go download after the show. <laughs> yeah. Show can be expensive. Yeah, it can. It can. Or in this case, we're not doing too bad today, but I think you're, you're about ready to mess that up uh, <laughs> price-wise. <laughs> I'm just about to do that in about a yeah. second here. Yeah. So my pick is, uh, I know people are going to be like, Frederick's picking a Microsoft app? Microsoft Surface. If you haven't heard about it, we talked about it before on This Week in Photo, but it is Microsoft's answer to the iPad, and it looks awesome. So I was looking at it, and I'm thinking, I've kind of had that feeling of like peeking over my fence into my neighbor's yard and they're <laughs> they're building a pool with a jacuzzi that's different than mine. You know, it's like how come I didn't put lights in the bottom of my pool, you know, that kind of thing. So it's it looks amazing. It's got lots of cool features in there and specifically I'm interested in it to see how it's going to affect photographers and the thing that photographer what what kind of things photographers can do with this thing that they can't do with an iPad. So yeah, oh. we're going to start seeing now because now here in the next uh, what few weeks are going to start. Uh They'll be released into the wild. Yes, yeah. Start, and today, uh, as we record this, today is um, October seventeenth. As we record this, they just announced or they uh, open price or order, so you can you can actually yeah. order these things as yeah. of today. So they'll be shipping soon. Uh, journalists have had them. So if you do a search for Microsoft Service Review, you'll see reviews on all sorts of sites like CNET and all that stuff of what the initial impressions from journalists are. Mm-hmm. But uh, to get one in your hands, you'll have to wait a couple weeks to to play around with it but looking at the videos and the reviews they've all been pretty positive i haven't seen a whole lot of negative stuff come out about it so it'll be interesting to see how it stacks up in the real world from a photographer's perspective uh, versus the the ipad and and of course this new rumored ipad mini that's coming out hopefully next week so well i I think it's going to serve a real uh, i mean it's going to have a real place uh here in the community because there there are folks that just don't like the uh, apple ecosystem Mm -hmm. and uh you know the android ecosystem definitely is uh uneven in places uh for sure so that's a a very nice elegant way to say it Derek. yeah (laughs) it's uneven in places it's uneven and uh so if microsoft comes through you know especially with the new operating system uh, and they come through with this nice piece of hardware uh, to folks that that really like uh, you know the Microsoft way of doing things. I, I think it could be very strong, and uh, it's going to be interesting to see how their partners uh, deal with this. You know, but uh, uh, the device itself, I think, is is very interesting. Now, uh, Ron, you think you're going to run out and buy a Microsoft Surface when they're available? No, probably not, but I, I think your characterization is exactly right of, you know, this is interesting technology that's coming out there and uh, I'm very curious to see what it does and you know what it drives as well. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I love I love this, you know, the innovation cuz it's innovation drives innovation. So hopefully we'll get into this leapfrog thing where Apple will say, 
hey, you know, maybe we should make a smart cover with a keyboard on it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and everyone, all the consumers will benefit. I love it. Cool. All right. And my other quick pick was um, this uh, new product that I launched under from my Media Bytes company. It's called Essential Web Marketing for Photographers. If you're a photographer that's in business and you are perplexed on how to get the word about a word out about your product or service, we've put together this thing. Myself and Zach Prez, who's an internet marketing guru. We put together this thing to allow you to just basically go through and learn how to market yourself using Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, Google Plus, all that stuff. It's all in there. There's like 50, over 50 videos in this thing that uh, all you do is sit back, grab yourself a glass of wine and relax and learn how to go around and run circles around your competition. So. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's uh it's the first thing the first product, really the first real course out of my Media Bytes company mm-hmm. and I'm really really proud of it. So I would love the Twip listeners to go check it out and tell me what you think. And uh it's at essentialwebmarketing.com is the uh, little mini site for it. We've set it up so that you can get a taste of the course by you just sign up, put your email address in there, and it'll deliver you three videos over three days that give you a taste of kind of what's going to go on in the course and some of the issues that go on with photographers in terms of how to manage their shooting lives and their promotion lives together. Because we can't all be the you know the guys that are online all the time hanging out in Google Plus posting an image every 10 minutes we can't do that you know most of us can't do that so it kind of goes into how to fix that problem so definitely check that out excellent all right all right guys we're at the end of the show here let's uh let's wrap it up joseph is gone but if you want to check joseph out you can head over to apertureexpert.com that's his website and all that stuff that he was talking about you can link to or uh, not link to or click over to over there it's just apertureexpert.com Derek where are you at online where can people find you thedigitalstory.com and uh, everything runs through there Everything runs through there. You are uh, just centralized right there on the. On it is the right there, man. Just uh, <laughs> keep the blog going and run everything else through it. I love it. And we just announced uh, some uh, new workshops for 2013. The the first flurry of announcements. So um, if you're interested in a photography workshop, click on workshops there. You know, I might need to twist your arm and come audit one of those again. And, yeah, uh, and yeah. Well, I got some good ones, uh, and I'm working on uh, four more right Very now. Cool. I yeah. love that. I love it. You've been doing workshops yeah. for how many years now? It hasn't been that long. It's only this is uh, this will, 2013 will be my third season. Okay. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah. good. Congratulations. We have one this weekend. Uh, we're going uh, up to Safari West, and then we're going to shoot fall color in, in vineyards after that. So Very cool. Well, I can, I can one-up you because I'm going to Chicago this weekend. Yeah. And I'm going to geek out. I'm going to the, uh, the Museum of Science and Industry. <laughs> because I'm a geek, and I want to go to the Museum of Science and Industry. I'm sorry. Yeah, I don't know. It's strong. It's good yeah. stuff. Yeah. Uh, and, Ron, what about you? Where can people go to check out your stuff and uh, keep up with the Ron Brinkman world? Uh, I'm on Twitter as Ron Brinkman, R-O-N-B-R-I-N-K-M-A-N-N. And if you're an Instagram user, do a search for Freeze Paint, my app. There's some hilarious stuff that our users have been posting to Instagram. So just do a search for the string Freeze Paint, and you'll see some great, great stuff there. Very cool. All right. And we, Ron, we still have to do our contest. And we promised it about three episodes ago that we were going to do that. 
we will definitely do that contest in the next week or so and uh yeah Good. give away some cool stuff all right, thanks, guys. And if you want to keep up with everything in the TWIP universe, you can check out thisweekinfoto.com. Also, please leave us a uh, comment over on iTunes. If you would, we read each and every one of those. And also, be sure to check out the TWIP podcast app. It's a handy way to stay on top of our newest shows. And rewind and go back in time and listen to our greatest hits. And if you're looking for me, Frederick Van Johnson, you can find me at Frederick Van Dot com And also a quick thank you to our sponsor, Carbonite. And with that, it is time to take that lens cap off. This Week in Photo is a Pixelcore.tv production, produced by Suzanne Llewellyn, with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar. 